Welcome back to How AI Built This, uh, the podcast dedicated to data and entrepreneurial storytelling. As always, we're brought to you by Cathcart Associates. And for a one-off episode, we're also brought to you today by Peak, the decision intelligence company and their inaugural AI and decision intelligent one-day conference, Altitude X, um, which is happening on November 4th in Manchester at Depot Mayfield where they're bringing commercial leaders, data scientists, and engineers under one roof to chat about all things AI. You'll get to hear from some pretty cool speakers like Matthew Said, Danny Wallace, and Priya Lackney. Go check out altitudex.live or get in touch with me for more information. My guest today is the legend that is Chris Billingham, lead product manager at Peak. Chris, welcome. Hello. How's it going? Good, man. How I feel big time reading out a sponsor, and I don't think it was that bad. Hopefully. Oh, no, no. Do you know what? It was all right. I'd certainly give you a good solid three out of ten. I'll get better. Um, <laughs> I'll get better. Um, we keep. I, I keep saying we want to sponsor, and then I'm like, oh, who's going to sponsor? Like me talking to people. Um, I would. I'll be there with you know ten euros in the back pocket. I, I would do it. I would get a couple of beers before we get all excited and talk about Altitude X Peak. Mm. Any other such data science nonsense? Let's jump back to. I was going to say the start, but we're not going to go all the way back. We, we often start on education. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I knew this, which is really bad, but well, you did a degree in astrophysics, right? Well, I, I, I completed some of a degree in astrophysics, yeah. <laughs> so so, so I, I've got the good fortune of, of having attempted to go to university three times, spent six years doing it, and have yet to acquire a degree. So I'm in rarefied company in that, in that regard. You just like trying it out a lot. It's not necessarily seen it to the end oh no yeah yeah you know you know a man of no staying power whatsoever but yeah i did um astrophysics first for a couple of years before i got asked to leave um then i did maths for a year and then i did three years part-time doing international relations so you know i thought let, first let's two i'm all right with the last one yeah. i don't understand i was just like i can't face first year maths again which was like you are like i'd done it twice as part of physics and maths and i was like if i have to do this one more time i'm gonna like shoot someone so um yeah i just went completely completely left field and uh it was an absolute nightmare <laughs> the uh the main reason i love asking about education on the show is because everyone has like a whole weird and wonderful story and mm. it's quite nice speaking to someone that's done three attempts at different degrees and still made a decent career in data science because until i knew the background there i was going to say to you that you don't have a phd and you call yourself a data scientist but it turns out you did some of a astrophysics degree some of yeah. a math degree they work quite well in the world of a data scientist and yeah. international relations we might be clutching at straws a bit yeah, but difficulty. it's quite it's quite cool to see like you've obviously got you obviously had enough interest in those areas to start a degree yeah some some of the necessary skills to complete them yeah. and then they work quite well with data science so it still makes sense you just didn't have this proper linear path of i did physics degree then i did phd then i did postdoc then i did data science which is quite yeah. nice yeah, yeah. I, I always say, like, um, when I have the opportunity I like to take about talking about myself, is that um, I had a non-traditional data science upbringing. So even before um, I had three failed attempts at university, I managed to get my self-expelled from boarding school. So um, already I was on the wrong side of the tracks. Um, and it was certainly something as part of me growing up was – realizing that actually you can't just you know flake your way through this world and that meant that anywhere that i've got to since then has been hard work from the bottom so outside you know one whilst i was going through this whole university palaver i was just working in shops and things just working retail you know coffee shops and that kind of thing and then it got to a point where i was like i can't face this music anymore and ended up getting a job at bt in the end as a, as a temp but i'll always say that like, that was the start of chris billingham talking to liam on a podcast today because there was decisions and things that i learned and in in that regard that kind of helped to craft who i am and the things that i like to do so um it's a bit of a roundabout journey but it paid off in the end there's kind of something to be said as well for like doing quite a lot of stuff and then like working out what it is that you like like to do Mm. because there's loads of people and we'll, we'll take it out of data science, but I'm sure there's lots of software engineers or there's lots of, I don't know, like name a, name a profession that they like, that's what you want to do. That's, yeah. what they did. that's what they got a job in after fourth yeah. year at uni and they're still doing it now, but they're probably not that buzzing about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, um, 
it's like I say, I had to grow up almost both in, in me as, as, as Chris, um, this idiotic 20 year old that was just mucking around, but to learn what I wanted to do, you kind of, I thought I was mathematically inclined. Yeah. I ended up doing three years of a part-time international relations thing because it was something I was interested in. And it gave me a kind of background that said, there's more to the world than this. There's more to the world than the equations. There's more to the world than, than just data, which is kind of that appreciation. But also, I couldn't come in and just be like, hi, I'm a grad. Like, let's do grad things and then just go up that journey. I was like, you know, you, you know at times you, you almost felt like a failure in these things. And you're coming in at the bottom and it was, uh, right, well, I've got to grind this one out because I'm a long way behind and getting quite old now. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I still feel that now, if I'm honest. I'm a sprightly 42 and I'm still like, I feel like there's an imperative behind me that all this lost time that I had as a, as, as a youth in my 20s. You look excellent for 42. People, people are just going to listen to this podcast, but they should believe me. Do you know what else? And we're getting way late already, right? Because I knew this was going to happen. But I love it when I see like the stupid fucking polls on LinkedIn saying, do you need a PhD to be a data scientist? Do you need... Like, what, what, whatever. Like some of them are really good. Like some of them have actually put balanced arguments down. Yeah. I don't know if it was Mark and Stuart. Pete, I can't remember. Someone yeah, yeah, yeah. did a did a really good um, like thought on it. Um, but if you look at your CV, right? If you went back to just before you joined BT or something, and you applied yeah, yeah. for a, a data scientist job now, they'd be like, "Oh, that the guy that didn't do astrophysics, yeah. and didn't do math, and they don't hire you." But then you look at the career after that, and you're like, "Maybe how many people are?" missed out on in data science now because people get really precious about what they did at uni yeah it it really winds me up right it's like uh, if i have to see you know when i was leading data scientist teams if i have to see another person that's come through the um you know the physics or maths upbringing and they've come out of uni and they want to do data science i'm like there's a lot of the real world that you're missing. There's a lot of how businesses work. Um, you know, how does, how does a business live and breathe? There's a lot of the imperative around delivery that, that is missed. Um, you know, I've said many a time to, to many different people, um, if someone wants to be a data scientist, I would love to gatekeep that and say, you go into some big enterprise and you be an analyst for a year and it would force delivery upon you because, you know, you can't just spend six weeks in experimentation to build a 50 slide deck for the next business meeting. No, no, you've got to get that done in three hours. So you need to kind of pull your shit together and get a move on. And I think that's something that's often missing, understanding the business for data scientists and Actually, you need to get something out there. There needs to be some kind of outcome for all this experimentation, all this coding that do that people do, rather than cool. I've got a brilliant model, and I'm like, excellent. Can you get it out of your laptop, please? Can you change the business? Like that isn't there for a lot of people, and training that in is really, really hard. Yeah, it's really hard when you come from an academic background where even take physics, math, computer science. Anyone that goes to uni, you're kind of drilled into try and get an A, try and get the mm-hmm. highest percentage, try and get the highest percentage you can. You've got yeah. six six weeks to study for this exam and you've got four years to do your PhD. Like you're in a business and like you said, it's like backs against the wall, guys. We need to stay till seven o'clock tonight and get this working or yeah. we're all fucked. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's um it's a very different imperative. And I think one of the things I liked about Peak, you know, skipping ahead a little bit is the fact that the, they're very kind of particular in their recruitment process as well around the skills and the mindset they're looking for in data scientists, which is it's great doing data science, but you need to do something with it. So what? So what if you if you can do a model and it's 92% accurate? It's took you nine months. We've lost the customer. You've just wasted 200 grand to make yourself feel good about something that was probably 80% accurate eight months before. So can we just use that? Can we put it out there? Can you learn to give away that which isn't perfect for a kind of material gain? So, you know, P kind of higher towards that. But even then, they take some some learnings, particularly kind of fresh out of school people. But I think it's one of those things that's missing. And it's, it's something that you see a kind of proliferation now of uh, data science courses at uni and stuff like that that they really need to get into. And if there's a kind of vocational side to it, you can drill that into people that says a model doesn't do anything until you've deployed it. A model doesn't do anything until the business is using it. So think in those terms. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, Pete probably got some amazing advice at the start for the recruitment, Mm. maybe. Yeah, God knows who that could have been, but certainly they, they've done a few good things. I was going to go through BT. Actually, no, let's go through BT. Because go on, let's do it. 
you started as a temp and you've told me some funny stories uh, off the air about BT. <laughs> um, but how on earth did you end up as a data scientist joining BT as a temp? Let's just go with that story. Oh, man. So this is a great story. I'm going to take you back in time to 2005 where there were such things as temp jobs. Um, and you could just walk <laughs> into a temp agency and they'd go, cool, you can start Monday. Um, I don't think that's happened in the last 15 years. So I literally walked into um, Kelly Services. I don't think they even exist anymore. And was like, I need a job. And they were like, cool, man, go to BT and answer the phone. So my job was to answer the phone from engineers and say, cool, do you want a line test? I'll run that for you. And that was literally my job. Now, that was fine. And like, it was a nice little job. But I was always thinking there's got to be more. I'm, a, I'm someone that that kind of has to kind of interfere a little bit and look beyond that which I've been presented with. So there was lots around, how can we do this quicker? How can we say, is are there common issues that engineers are getting on the phone, you know, that we can deal with rather than just having a fun game, which is can you chase the Radio 1 across the country listening to exchanges? Like, <laughs> oh, we're on Bon Jovi again up in, in Northwich, that kind of thing. And I've I've always said this, like, the thing that set me on this journey, other than I used to be a bit of a computer nerd when I was younger, I love maths, obviously, was that one of my senior managers back then taught me how to use VLOOKUPs and pivot tables on Excel. And literally from that, this is the person you see before you because it's around, it got to the core of some of the data data science process, which is taking data, enriching it, you know, aggregating it, grouping it, finding relations within it. Yes, I had to use Excel and I got pretty good with Excel, but it was using that to make my job, answering the phones, finding faults, that kind of thing, easier and easier. So it kind of snowballed, right? So then it was like, oh, cool, but that's a load of faff. What can we do? Oh, can we automate something? So you're writing stuff in VBA in the back. And then before you know it, like there's this industry around spreadsheets and doing clever things with data that you've created as part of answering the phones, right, and speaking to customers that's been driven by a kind of very, like a prototype of data scientific thinking. It's like, there's some data here. It's a mess. So I cleaned it up, right? Oh, you need to move that bit over there. Or I need to aggregate this in this some way and tell a story based on that. And ultimately, that's just data science, but done on Excel. So that's how that journey started. I love how uh, everyone gets all scared that data science is going to steal everyone's jobs and stuff. And then like the cold, hard truth for people like you is, yeah, there's a lot of data on Excel somewhere, and I just made it less shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, on honestly, like... Even to what we do at Peak, right? Incredibly detailed AI, getting decision intelligence into businesses, right? That kind of stuff. But a lot of what we're doing is digging out shit Excels and just exposing it in some way. You know, certainly some of our clients is literally just churning through all this dross and going, okay, there is insight here. You've just not been able to do it. And it's like, there's whole sections and industries where you can bring insights and improving business outcomes just by being a bit whizzy with excel and yes you can wrap that in r and orchestrate and do cool things like that but ultimately that's all you're doing yeah no i mean yes was that's why companies like peak exist because companies haven't quite got they don't they know they've got lots of data they know there's something there they just don't know what on earth where to start and from BT, you ended up uh, at a company everyone, or not, I say everyone that listens, <laughs> some people that listen will probably know, so N Brown um, mm-hmm. in Manchester. So we actually had their new director of data, Dom, on the show. Oh, cool. Uh, January time, I think. Mm-hmm. And they've spoken at Mike Miller a few times. Um, uh, interesting business, obviously, in, in retail. And But I think I'm right in saying, when you were there, data was kind of new. And there was lots of like SaaS, like legacy stuff. Is that right? Yeah, it was very much, um, I mean, they took a punt on me, right? I I took a redundancy package with BT because I was stayed there about three years longer than I wanted to. And it was sending me a bit loopy, but I have to say thanks for the wife um, who I met whilst I was at BT. Um, but yeah, they took a punt on me when I was looking for roles. I was looking at analysty type things and they were like, you know, you can be a data scientist. I was like, cool, sounds good. And, and I learned to be a data scientist. And But when you land, you know, as you said, very SaaS focused using um, not to denigrate SAS in any way they've done some great things but it certainly isn't at the the forefront of what data science is about and it's a bit unwieldy in how to use it and certainly there was some thinking that wasn't necessarily at the level that you need to in retail at the moment that um, meant there was a lot of 
stuff to get through, I think, as, as, as part of it. You know, I came in and it was still so very SaaS focused. And I was like, hey, guys, I want to te- teach you the good word about R and R Studio and using those kind of tools. And I was like this little fifth column person that was saying, hey, don't use SaaS. It's rubbish. I've got this open source thing that's cool. I used to have like um, a USB that had our studio and R on it that I'd go and plug into people's computers because we couldn't download it. But I, that was my way around it to install. And like, then you could get a packages. So I used to go to various other data scientists and be like, hey, I have these magic spells. Let me help you on your role. You're um, so sorry, dodgy R dealer at M. Brown. Oh, yeah. T- oh, completely. And I was I'm completely unabashed about it. I was like, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something you can't do in SaaS. I'm going to do a word cloud. I think I did like something around reading customer sentiment or something from that and i just did this world cloud and it was like oh wow you've come to play have you um (laughs) so um that was kind of the springboard but what was really interesting is i was pushing on an open door there so you know people had used r i mean we had a little focus on r but that was just because i i was mr r i was pushing on open door with regards to people wanted to do this they knew about open source some of them had had played around with it so i started an r user group at and brown and you know i went and pulling stickers and we ran hackathons and that kind of thing using these tools to try and embed them and you know i got the opportunity to go down to earl you know earl conference um down in london so 2018 represented was it 2018 yes and brown there doing something on sentiment analysis and nlp i think it was and and topic modeling um and that was i i felt that was a bit of a a bit of a, a leap that the business had made that actually this is the great way of presenting our stuff that isn't based on SaaS. now I think when it came time, the end of my time at N. Brown, I think I was probably rubbing up against uh, other forces that were like, come on, you know, we have to find a better way of doing this. You know, what about using SaaS? And it certainly felt like my journey with them had reached an end. But they, I was, um, you know, whilst I wasn't in, in leadership to say, it was I'd left it in a better place from a open source point of view and using different tools and it doesn't always have to be um SaaS that was really rewarding and it's on, like I lots of community building there so it was um it was a really good role to kind of set me on the path to the next things that I did it seems like a bit of a theme and we might keep going on it but mm. you you like to go into places and like have your own twist on things yeah, I just I'm more because I'm a bit of an idiot I think which is um the, 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 I, my wife will tell you this right she thinks that i'm contrary for the sake of it sometimes it's not it's just about challenging thinking sometimes but maybe maybe with her it's just needling her a little bit and to wind her up um but i i I, challenging the ways think people have done things is like is important to me because if there's a status quo it's there to be pushed and pulled it's there to be pushed around to say actually is this right because um, a status quo means no change. A status quo means no learning. You know, you don't develop or, or grow in these places. So sometimes you need to go in there and, you know, go to the meeting room, throw the grenade and walk out doing this with your hands, right? To to say that, okay, well, there's some shit that's hit the fan. Certainly what I've often found as well is like when you push things and try and test the boundaries, you'll often get shouted down, but it's usually those people that shout that care the most, which, which is great for me, right? I'll go get those and go, cool, you're my stakeholder. I'm going to go for you because you care, albeit because I'm a moron, but at least I know you're the one that cares. It's the people that just sit there quietly that I'm like, oh, can't do much with you. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it also makes sense as to why you probably didn't make it through the maths and natural physics degrees because yeah. universities don't, aren't they're renowned for changing. So from retail to to Manchester Airport of all places and I must admit and I didn't find this out until I don't know maybe it was when Jonathan spoke at Mancamel I can't remember okay but I thought when I saw data scientists working at the airports and this was recent this this isn't a a historic thing I always thought it'd be like really cool shit about planes or like counter-terrorism route optimization and even maybe even like predictive asset maintenance which I appreciate isn't cool but it's actually like marketing consumer spend make more money from the car park yeah Yeah, yeah. 
But and that, that's what it was, right? So all that other stuff was because we were at Mago, which is like the digital offshoot of of Mag more generally. Um, and but what we would do, we were very much the retail side. So essentially, it was like, can you sell car parks in the most expensive way possible whilst ensuring they're full to the brim? So you know, a lot of what Jonathan did, um, who was senior data scientist over there and started before me, um, was around maximizing the trading side ensuring that we had like an optimization engine that that drove the pricing but then we had the marketing side so um there was a bad habit or at Mago, you know, I'm not stepping on toes by saying this out loud. You know, no one from Mago is going to be like, Chris, why are you saying these things? Um, which was every, every week we emailed everyone and just sent offers out. It was very, you know, if you didn't do that, if you didn't hit your 4 million number or something ridiculous like that, people were just terrified that we wouldn't get that, that revenue. And then that kind of came through. So a lot of what we were trying to do there is saying, you can be a bit more targeted. It's about, understanding customers and 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 putting them into um different segmentations for example but you know that's the kind of thing to work with and then they had like the retail side so you know you can go through when you go through the airport you get stuck in the kind of okay now we're going to take you through the perfume section and i hope you survive this journey through this labyrinth of of, of booze cigarettes and perfume that there was an online version of that where you could kind of pre-book things. And that was just launched at Mago. And it's like a big thing. We had a whole platform about it. But they didn't have any recommenders. Like, so I built their first recommender. They didn't understand what's the best way of influencing these people because it had that cold start problem, which is we'd never sold anything. So like, how could I recommend something if I've got no sales data to, to compare it to? So it had a load of really cool challenges. And then on the marketing side, like, you know, um, multi-channel attribution, which was, which was great fun and, and gave me a headache for six months. But there's lots of different ways to pull on it. But there was none like, okay, if we put Concord over here at this time, then we're going to fly to the moon. It was, we didn't get to do that cool stuff. It was all pretty retail. No, I mean, it does make sense, I suppose, because uh, the airport is just one massive, like, shopping unit, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But I, I remember um, we had a guy on the on the show way, way back, actually, um, and he worked for a company where uh, it was all about re- helping retailers with returns because, t- like your Mago problem, they, yeah. used to, they used to send out offers to the total wrong audience. Mm-hmm. So, like, they were sending out offers to serial returners. So they kept getting discount and they kept returning stuff, and then they wouldn't send offers out to the person that maybe bought six things a year but kept them all uh, um, yeah. so you, you want to get that person back and buying more and stop giving the like thieves discount essentially yeah yeah and brown had the same thing right it was sending you know oh, some of our best customers like they you know um you know they buy with us 20 times in the season and then we were doing some work which is like profitably we're losing 10 grand on these a month like what are we doing and a big part of that was to um, you know, uh, with M Brown, uh, you know, there was a credit side, which is giving people, you know, small credit accounts to spend on the websites. But, you know, they hadn't thought about that from a profitability point of view. So it was a case of closing those, literally closing those accounts and saying, we don't want your business. And people are like, we're going to lose all this revenue. And I'm like, there's there's another side to this. We need to use our brains a bit here. Yeah. That's what the guy, Adam, who was on, he said that, that the business that built the, like the AI platform for, retailers to help with returns it was just ahead mm. of his, it was ahead of his time essentially like the idea was solid but it was just too early yeah um and i'm sure there's something similar now fastest career walkthrough ever so <laughs> at mago you were lead data scientist right yeah yeah, yeah super so- exciting um so as part of that like there was all this kind of managing the, re- the data science team so underneath the vp of data science at the time so it was relatively small as a team but but i think perfectly formed for what we were um but there was another side of that which was super exciting which was was we had this idea about we had we're using a load of tech from aws in order to do the things that we do and actually um as part of what mago did was trying to white label some of the services that we did so we can give you a retail platform to sell your own retail products we can help you get with this revenue thing to sell more car um, car parks in the right way was the idea that we could do that for data science so we as the experts in aviation led 
um, data science have built a platform that we could then white label and say, well, if you buy into this with the cool tech that we put into it, um, that's another revenue stream for the business. So we started building that platform and that's, that's kind of where Mago got super exciting. Um, and, you know, designing out something that was really, really forward thinking, bringing in loads of kind of um, du jour ideas around how you have data platforms and data science platforms into one place and then being able to sell that as a thing. But someone decided to chuck a small pandemic into the start of things, which uh, caused um, a few problems. But that was the, that was probably the most exciting thing we were doing. And, and probably one of those things where I look back on and go, you know, that could have been great. Yeah, and yeah, I'm sure there's so many examples of that where stuff just got waylaid, and, and mm. although important, not imperative, is probably yeah what happens quite a lot. But I mean, it pretty much takes us to. I didn't realize this until this morning, but it takes us to almost a year ago. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Almost there now. When you joined Peak, I don't want to say it was all down to me, but you're a big part of it, Liam. So, yeah. so I think you'll agree with me. Wasn't it one of the longest courtships ever? You know, like, like when oh. you take, take your dog to the park, right. And you meet another dog. And what do those dogs do? They kind of circle each other, sniffing their bottoms, like the sniffing bottom stage between me peak facilitated by you, Liam. I think, I think end to end was what nine months. <laughs> I can't believe that I've not had this on my LinkedIn before, but um, bottom sniffer facilitator should be my new job title. Um, yeah, I think the initial chat with you and I was probably about nine months, and then just timing and yeah. try, trying to align everything and pandemic and all that fun stuff. Um, but we got there. We got um, there. What do you, do you remember? What kind of drew you to peak? Like, what what was it that initially kind of had you interested so p came across my doorstep about halfway through my time at m brown i was like just sniffing around what's in the market and you know going to meetups and things you'd hear whispers of peak doing crazy things or great things or having the best people or doing the best work and it was always very much this was probably 2017 2018 so still quite early in peak's journey and you'd hear about it and had a really good rep um around the kind of manchester data science community so I kind of did some investigations and I was like, actually, that feels like it could be a really good place to work. And certainly I got to the end of my time at M Brown, moved to Mago. Um, it didn't really feel like um, me and Peak were um, probably in the same place. But then as I was getting through my time at, at, at Mago and certainly um, the, the opportunity to think about data science roles that Peak came up um, in 2019, and I was like, do you know what? I think I, I can't remember if I said it to you, Liam, right at the start. Um, I wasn't looking, but Peak was one of those businesses that when it were they to come knocking or the opportunities were there, you talk, whatever. So even if I'd been in a role like two weeks, I would have still talked. So had always been there as a um as a place to be. It's a place that was driven by data i was fed up with working in businesses that were like no yeah yeah we're proper data led and i'm like you're totally not like so much of it is finger in the wind like you know you can get your data up to a certain point and then you know ultimately some head of revenue will just say no i believe this and this is what will happen that's really frustrating as a data professional because you're like you're not looking at this other stuff that i'm doing i'm not articulating in the right way it's all peak do we know taking and working with businesses, taking that data and like getting value from it, you know, like businesses struggle with AI and, and decision, um, sorry, data science and that kind of thing and doing something with it and peak were doing that. And so in my head, there was like, you can be at the forefront of doing something. And so we're having the conversations and certainly how I've been pushing my data scientists at, uh, at Mago was like delivery, getting stuff out there, get, doing stuff with it, getting that outcome from that rather than just sitting there and, and twiddling your wheels for a bit of extra performance and, and peak was driven by that so it was really exciting for me and i think the more that i got through the recruitment process the more i wanted it i think and you know i had that at the start and it just grew and grew as i went through such a good lesson for uh anyone that's like hiring or not on the market like Anyone that says they're not on the market is just lying. Yeah, they're, they're just not on the market for whatever you've been approached about. Like all people always seem surprised that like when we say to them that I don't actually have like hard stats in front of me, but 
a huge percentage of people mm. we find new jobs every month aren't looking yeah like for wh- whatever that means yeah yeah and and and, and i've always said uh, ever since lfbt because i think it was very it was a weird or enterprise environment but it was like you know there's two ways of approaching um recruiters on linkedin for example which is you can hard ignore or just tell them to piss off um or you can just like actually there is an opportunity there and it's worth talking to and there's you know i've i've always said to people the the least you can do is say cool what have you got probably not for me thanks just find that little bit out and keep those relationships going because it's through that you know i got the job at mago because i'd made friends with someone during a recruitment thing and saw something on twitter like i got the job at peak because like liam you came to me and was like this might be cool for you and i was like you actually pinged me on twitter as well so twitter is the oh yeah your, your main place of getting jobs which is quite good I did. I, I did ping you on Twitter. Yeah, I could, yeah. I, I'd, uh, I'd, I posted a different job, like a head of data science, and you pinged me just saying, <laughs> "What? What is this job?" And obviously, awesome. since, since we're not talking about who that company was, great decision not to go. Um, <laughs> but then, then Peak was just another thing that we ended up chatting about. So to to get through the the Peak stuff, so you moved there a year ago, but interestingly. And I suppose it makes sense given your what you just said about Mago and what you were building. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather than moving as a lead data scientist or senior data scientist or, or whatever, you, you kind of instantly joined them as, as lead product manager, but for their AI platform. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you, say, like, tell us a bit about it and, and all that, but probably worth... So I've been banging the drum for a few years that... There's, there seems to be a gap for like almost a data science BA. Oh, um, very good. But is that kind of what a data science product manager is responsible for? Or is it, do you need a physical product for it to work? So it's a tricky one, right? Yeah. Treating your data team like a product team is a big thing right now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, interesting. I think. Something that we find often is that from a product point of view, and certainly from an AI point of view, what you often have is people designing, delivering, product managing these things that don't have a base data background. Um, or if if they do, it's data adjacent. So BAs potentially, but it's kind of, you need an understanding about, I've, I've said this um, loads of times over the last year, so people are probably really bored of it, but um you can't build a data product like a software product. A software product is fine, right? You can have features, you can look at analytics, what are people using and so on. A data product, data moves very differently. Data, you need an understanding about how you take it from that genesis to doing some stuff and experimentation and then modeling and then doing doing an outcome. And actually, um, that is a very different thing. And I think... You know, building on that, which I was doing at Mago, which was saying, how do we have a platform that does that? It takes, you need to have done that in some way to be able to then product manage these things through because actually you can't just do data stuff in in sprints. You know, two-week sprint to do things isn't going to work because so much of the data scientific process is experimentation and playing around, you know, keeping the artistry of data science in there. Um you need to kind of work with that. But at the same time, you need to have your big stick to hit them behind the knees to say, come on, guys, we need to get something delivered. So I think there's there's a bit of give and take with this. You need to understand the data persona, which is I'm going to faff around and understand these things and get into it. But you can apply the stick of delivery that you could get from you know, Agile and, and Scrum and those things and, and thinking about things as a data product. And that kind of works. And I think it only happens when you have an, a really kind of intimate understanding of the two worlds. Otherwise, yeah. you just, if you just try and do like software a, a approach to building a product, it's going to fall to pieces. Um, oh, you see it loads. Like, there's so many data science teams where like they brag about not the teams, like the the company will say, yeah. "Oh, you're in your little, you're in your own little squad where you work yeah. with one product owner, one software developer, one tester, and one DevOps person. You never speak to anyone else in data science, and your boss is a software manager." Oh. So it's just like you're you're asking for that not to work. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't shoehorn it in. You, they, they work on different cycles. You know, that's why there's often 
how do you set up data science teams? Is it like the hub and smoke approach? Is it the C of E approach, that kind of thing? And actually, you kind of need to be flexible. You know, you need to have domain knowledge in order to be successful. So how peaks set themselves up certainly is around, we have some key verticals around, um, you know, retail and CPG and manufacturing, for example, that actually you need to understand how data works in those areas for it to be successful. Um, so, you know, you know, I worked in retail for those, so I could probably talk to that space. But if I've not worked on inventory optimization or something along those lines, then I'm going to be blind to it because it's taking business problems and translating that down into data science. And I think it's it's very much understanding that that is a bit of a process to go through, that you can't just crank the needle and just say right what's your user stories what the what squad are you going to be in how are you going to deliver you're going to do this on your own actually you need a community around you to help you do that so i think businesses are waking up to it but it's often um it's often something that people just go cool we're gonna we're gonna treat our data teams like a product team and i'm like you can't just read that on some medium post somewhere and make it real and make it successful. You actually need to make it work properly with some defined outcome, which just doesn't happen. Yeah, the the Spotify model is the bane of my recruitment life. It's like <laughs> you're not you're not Spotify. You're some manufacturing company in Stockport. Like it's not it's not the same thing. I also quite like. I always remember there was a talk at Mancamel from two of the peak data scientists, and I only remember one of them, and it was Kaylee, um, who's no longer there, but. Um, there was a problem with a, a like a logistics company mm. and they, they thought there was a problem, but Peak went into the factory and like worked out it was actually a different problem. And that's a yeah. good example of what you were saying. Like they could have just taken their, the client's word for gospel that that was the problem. Here's some data science and some Python and some R and we'll make it work. But actually it was like, no, no, let's go back. And like and you said, the, the, yeah, the domain knowledge was there and, there was a, and it ended up being quite an easy fix, which oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, the, like- is the good news. Yeah, we like so. So we've, um, I can't say the name now, but we just have recently signed up a a new customer, and like literally within the first few days of of, of things being signed, we had people from Peak on site looking at how to stuff work, and that's the tangibility. Like that's the thing because businesses are struggling with like, how do I do AI? What does that mean? And often they'll go miles away and be like, right, I'm either going to airlift loads of consultants in, you know, get a Deloitte in, they'll fix it all, that kind of thing. Or I'll just go hire 10 data scientists to build it. And, and that isn't the thing. It's about understanding where these things come from. It's about getting in there and saying, well, this this widget of data, like, what does that mean? Oh, it's like this stock on this shelf in this way that's picked up by James who has this for, you know, forklift that will move it over here. But the constraint there is that, you know, James can only turn right, not left. And that's the kind of thing that you then build into the model that says, well, if I'm reallocating where the inventory is, always do things to the right. Like, you won't pick up on that and looking at the data. And that's where Peak's a bit different, which says there's an outcome and that's, you know, all my life, I've kind of been driven by doing something with the stuff from being a BT, right? And, uh, you know, I'm on the phone to engineers, let's do something with this stuff. I'm working at M Brown, there's no point doing models unless they're in production at, at Mago, you know, come on, we need to deliver this because those car parks aren't selling themselves. You need to have that outcome focused. And that's kind of why as I've gone along, that's been a big part of me and making the right decisions and using it to drive those outcomes is everything that peaks about. You spoke to um, Rich Potter a, a long time ago, I think, Liam. A, a yeah, he was, he was episode one. Was he episode one? Wow. Yeah, I, I engineered that on purpose, but I might get him back for episode 100. Who knows? Oh, that'd be awesome. I'd love that. Um, but I think, you know, you, you hit, when you hear Rich talk about why peaks different, why the culture around peaks different, around how we approach AI being different, it's 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 really key. It's that outcome. It's doing something with the stuff, and our people are there to support your business in doing the right thing. Your problems are problem, rather than a data scientist in an ivory tower looking down and saying, "I dust decree that these emails should go to James and not John today because of reasons." Like it's <laughs> far from that. It's in the trenches with people, and and you know, there's nothing better than getting data scientists dirty, you know, and getting them out there into distribution centers and that kind of thing. And just saying, look, look this is where data comes from. It works different out here. It makes sense. And I, and I love the explanation as well. Um, 
Last question before we get on to the main event of the show. Um, not that your not that your career and background is not the main event. Oh, um, do, does anyone still let you near any models? Uh, I've not. Well, when's the last time I built a model? Not since I've been at peak, but I have written some shiny apps in our. Bearing in mind that I had never written a shiny app um, before the start of the year, I had to learn pretty quick. Um, so yeah, and I've done a lot of. So on our platform, demonstrating the platform in the right way is a big part of it. So yeah. I kind of came in and wrote a load of code to make the platform look awesome. And you may have seen that we've recently been relatively successful in our Series C fundraising. So I can't believe it took 40 minutes for you to mention that. Well, no, yeah. And certainly not the fact that I got to do the demo to SoftBank as well. Um, so all, yeah, yeah I, got, I got to do it. Yeah. Um, so a funny story. Um, that was almost the worst demo on the planet because halfway through, it was, it was quite late. Um, I realized that something had turned off, um, but we were screen sharing and doing things. So I had to try and sneakily like log in on my phone or log in on somewhere else to like turn these things on. But luckily Rich was, you, you know, talking the great talk that he does. So I managed to turn it back on. But if you watch back the video, you see there's a point where my face goes white because I'm like, this is going to die. Um, but luckily we pulled it out. But um, yeah, I got like, that is proper, that was proper seat your pants stuff. I had to convince my kids to go to bed an hour early to pull that one off. But um, I can imagine but, you were the reason that Peak didn't get $75 million because like the thing you did couldn't log in. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I have nightmares about that. Um, but, but yeah, like, like, but that was part of, we had to kind of get into it and data science was super busy and, you know, I still have the skills every now and then. I like to to crack the knuckles and like, come on, on the keyboard. Let's let, let's do some workflows, guys. <laughs> you're like you're like the football player that retired early. That I was like the assistant manager. It's like you know he could still play, but he's, oh he's yeah, just, he chooses not to. I'm like Wayne Rooney at Derby. He's itching to get on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised he's not done that yet. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go. Let's finish off so we don't end up talking all night, which I'm sure we could. Um, <laughs> Like I said at the start of the show, we're, we're mm-hmm. sponsored by Peak and the more importantly, the conference, so Altitude X, which I think I'm right in saying is probably Manchester's first like proper data conference. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Eric and I, who run Mancamel, tried really hard before COVID. We had like a really mm. good idea. I'm sure I spoke to Marley about it. She probably just stole it. She just robbed um, it, yeah. And, and she's much, much better at events and organization and <laughs> works for a massive company doing cool stuff with data. So it kind of makes sense. Um, but we, we, had a, we had a venue and everything. We we're going to go to the comedy fact comedy store I think. yeah down the end of oldham street yeah yes yeah. So we went we, we went and viewed it we had it all teed up and we were way over our heads like so oh. far over our heads uh, and then covid hit and we were like thank god for that um but um november 4th uh, at depot you guys are taking over basically yeah we um, are and doing a, a data festival if you like um a one day conference um tell us about it so it's 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 interesting so we've come at it a different way right it's not just the data side it's not about um i've been to a few data science conferences and it's very um here's what we did and this is the cool stuff we used and there's going to be loads of that but part of what peak is, is is you know we're a decision intelligence company so what does that mean it means delivering business outcomes with ai to improve your profits and actually there's a big track around how do we make decisions so a big part of it is helping people understand how they can make those decisions so we've got some really great speakers like coming in to talk about decisions how do you make decisions how do you make the right decisions we've got um danny wallace to talk about terrible decisions he's made obviously he was the the original yes man so that was just riven with terrible decisions i'm sure i've actually not read his book i've seen the film but i've not read the book and i really want to because i want to understand how it all came about yeah yeah Um, yeah. i mean mean, i'll come watch him speak i'm sure at the event yeah um two of my friends actually did a yes man day after they watched the film and walked oh, really? the length, they walked the length of the main street in edinburgh and had to say yes to anything that happened and they signed up for like hundreds of pounds worth of charity donations <laughs> and they like forgot to cancel it for months and months Aww. um so it's a bad it's a bad idea no i know but like you know the the, the karmic load that they're gaining from that is is incredible they've they've helped people through their their, their poor decisions there <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so you've got people like him. Um, I actually wrote some of these down so you didn't get in oh, trouble cool. for, for forgetting them. So Matthew Said, I think we mentioned yep. him earlier, but he's written like six books or something about high performance and, and decision making. Mm-hmm. And he was like the number one at table tennis in England. Uh, he was, yeah, a, he's a legend a of table tennis. Can, can you be, uh, no offense if you're listening, Matthew, can you be a legend of table tennis? Well, yes. Have you, have you not seen him play? I've, I can't say I've watched a lot of table tennis in my time. Well, you need um, to get more involved in the community, Liam. Come on. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll Google them after this. Uh, also, <laughs> Nick, Nikki Moffat, CBE, um, mm-hmm. British Army's highest ranking female officer. Yeah. Um, I'm sure she knows a thing or two about decision making. Obviously, Rich Potter from Peak. From a technical point of view, Leanne Fitzpatrick, who we've had on the show and just got appointed head of data science at Financial Times. So, I mean, yep. I think one of the reasons I think it looks really cool is it's not just for techies but equally it's not just for salespeople so like it's not for like a bunch of sales directors to come and end up buying peak or whatever like it feels a lot more community focused and like businesses can come data folk can come like anyone really yeah yeah it's 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 about you know it's, it's making the right decisions it's about you know data scientists can do great data but you know do they know the business context do they know what the c-suite are up against but likewise people talk ai like people are scared of the word ai and what does that mean and actually there's a you know you can imagine being someone in the c-suite again you know you don't want to admit you don't know what some of these terms mean yeah like someone goes what's what's machine learning like actually there's probably something around just breaking that down into terms that someone can engage with that can then go do you know what this isn't a scary concept and actually this is something that me as a business that me as a business owner need to get into because i bet you know business out there are being hounded by um you know companies that are going to do i'm going to build you a great data lake. i'm going to make let you um hire 200 data scientists i'm going to give you the tools that you need in order to do all this cool stuff but they don't know it's it's tricky it's like it'd be like giving me um like my um father-in-law did a full tool bag with loads full of loads of things and says go make something wonderful and all i'm going to do is end up slicing half my leg off like you can't have some of these things without some understanding about what you can do. And I think bridging some of those gaps is is part of what makes it cool. But also we're going to have some really good food there as well. So um, whilst, you know, I want to encourage everyone to come and, and hear some amazing talks and see some good workshops, I think it's going to be poster sessions as well. Um, the Scran is going to be awesome. <laughs> I thought Scrum was a Scottish word, but apparently not. I am coming partly for the food. Um, good, good. It's actually, I just realized when I was um, like doing uh, like chat for this, um, it's going to be the first time I've been in Manchester since 2018. Jeez, really? Yeah, because I, uh, no, 20, no, sorry, 2019. That's a total lie. Uh, 2019. But I went, because so, I, I got married in 2019, so I yeah, ended yeah. up having a long chunk away from coming down to Manchester. And mm. then, I went on honeymoon for three weeks over Christmas and New Year, and then like two months later, it was lockdowns. So, like I barely got back to work by the time we all got locked in our houses. So like it's been so long. Um, so you've managed to get me back just for that. Well, um, yeah, and, and you managed to chuck in during the pandemic, uh, if I recall rightly, Liam, buying a house and having a baby. So um, I did do that. You've done, you've done, you've done all that during the pandemic time. So I can only congratulate you, and I'll be sure to. Um, well, I would say buy you a beer, but I'll just steal one of the peak ones when when we we meet up at Altitude X. Is there a, is there a peak beer at Altitude X? Um, I will get back to you on that matter. <laughs> and I suppose to finish on the Altitude X stuff, mm-hmm. it's it's just going to be one of those days where you'll get something from it. Like yes. that's probably because it's on all day, right? So obviously not everyone can come all day. People no. have probably got stuff to do, but like even if they just drop in they'll get something because there's two tracks obviously it's kind of a more business focus more technical focus yeah. go to a couple of each and then go home and like you'll get something from it that's I, i'm sure that's what the team are aiming for yeah and I, and i think as well it's 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 about get you know you can get something from everything so you can come in and you can go do the workshops you can learn about more cool data science stuff that we do you can hear about how we've worked to develop new tools at peak or you can hear about how 
businesses make the right decisions or you as an individual can make decisions and these are kind of relevant you're not going to be siloed under one thing you can do that int- that magpie approach to interest you know it's the kind of thing that i love is as we've waxed lyrical about through my education and career it's like dipping in and out and, and choosing that which you can bring together and i think that's what makes it a bit different and 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 exciting to be part of so yeah that's what we hope people get from it and certainly we don't want this to be the end. We're not just going to do Altitude X. There's going to be more Altitude X is, XI. I don't know what the, um, the plural is. And just to finish on, the, on yeah. Altitude X, this was, I'm really buzzing to come, and I'm not a data scientist. I, I'm a salesman, right? So yeah, yeah. listen to people like Matthew Said and, and Nikki and even Richard and, and I yeah. think um, the MD of the initial investment company you guys use, Pratura, he's going to be speaking. So like all these types of people, like somebody who's as non-technical as you get, I'll learn something and I'll dip into some of the data sessions to like work out what's been going on in that world. And like, yeah, it would, I think it would just be a really cool day for people and hopefully the start of more stuff like that in Manchester and other places that aren't named London, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, definitely anything not named London. I think, you know, the, the, all, all, the, all the meetups, like your, your Mancamels and, and that kind of thing, has, there's been a hiatus, hasn't there? There's been a everything's oh God, yeah, it's so long. And, and and actually, we like if this can be a, a trigger, like of other things happening, and certainly peak leading on, on some in, in some areas. But to start that community back again, it would just be awesome. But but yeah, it's um, there's a bit for everyone with this, and I think if you take nothing from it, um, Altitude X is almost a reflection of what peak is as a culture and how we do things. Which is, you start working at peak, and you have a job. I'm lead product manager for platform right but rapidly i got involved in so many different things because that was interesting and actually it was it made me better at my job and i kind of widened my horizons and actually that's a bit that we want to take into the um with the conference with altitude x which is there's a bigger world than this that you can still play a part in and and do more with so come and listen to nikki moffat or go and listen to data science or just sit there and just you know what other people are around what's the community talking about we've been through a very long and hard pandemic and this is a coming together where we can kind of talk the good things that we do and certainly um i'm looking forward to hearing rich potter all over again um i do every week when he does our stand-ups are you not speaking before we finish? I can't believe I've not talked about this. Has someone not let you on stage? Um, I couldn't possibly say whether I was speaking or not. All right, I think that's us. A huge thank you for coming on, Chris. Uh, no worries. A bit last minute. Um, and thank you again to uh, Cathcart, who always sponsor the show, but also Peak for uh, for helping out with this one and obviously Altitude X. Really looking forward to it. And, uh, and we'll catch up on the 4th. Awesome. Great to be part of the, the podcast as well. I can't wait to see you on the 4th.